the thing to take away. The most important part of it all was that if you were in the fire, God would save you. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning. Walking up the stairs of that music makes me feel like James Bond. It's like the coolest thing ever. Uh, Like Luke said, my name's Morgan. I get to serve here at PCC on the children's team, focusing on the elementary school side of things. And quite frankly, it's like the best job ever, right? Being, uh, hanging out with your kids, hanging out with your grandkids and all the volunteers that I get to interact with on a weekly basis over in the children's center. Just good for my soul quite frankly. And because it's so good, I'm going to bring a little bit of the Children's Center in here today, whether you all want it or not. So every week I get up on stage and I ask, or someone asks, it doesn't have to be me, uh, just kids, how's your week? Like it's the most basic question known to man. And we ask them to answer us in one of three ways. Number one, number two, or number three. So will you all humor me and just show me, answer the question, how's your week? I imagine there'll be, a, there'll be a mix. I'm seeing thumbs down, thumbs in the middle, thumbs up. I love it. Okay, now I'm ready to go. Look at that. How, how much fun. Uh, if you weren't here last week, Luke kicked us off at, on this journey as a church studying through the Old Testament book of Daniel. We're calling this journey Life in Exile for two reasons, really. Number one is Daniel is quite literally stories about people living in Babylon, Right, So uh, the Jewish people were led out of their home nation of Israel and were captives by Babylon. They were living in a land that did not worship the same God as them, did not have the same values as them, did not have the same political systems as them, yet they were right there in the middle of it. And the second reason we're calling this life in Babylon is because we believe the same thing is true of us to a certain extent. As followers of Jesus, we believe that our life is, we order our life around different things than people that don't follow Jesus, right? That's kind of how that works. Different motivations, different values, different end goals, because ultimately we're trying to live our life in a manner that joins God on his mission around us. And this same theme will carry us into today's text as well. So if you have a Bible and you'd like to, like to feel free to open up to Daniel chapter three. Uh, The words will be on the screen also. When I was a kid, I loved the Disney Pixar movie, Toy Story, right? Any other Toy Story fans in here? No, just me? Cool. All right, so anyway, uh, despite growing up in the Disney Pixar empire, my soul and heart just like latched onto this one movie. I think we've got uh, some pictures that are proof. Like it was just, it was what I wanted. Also shout out to my mom for digging through like piles of printed pictures and then taking a picture of a picture. What a time to be alive. So uh, I love the Toy Story and quite frankly, Toy Story is every kid's dream right? Your toys, these things you play with come to life. They have their own personalities. They interact with everyday objects in a different way than you do. They had to keep their being alive a secret from Andy and his friends. So as a kid, I'm just captivated by this movie. And it's so fun, this world that they've created for themselves. And then, oh no, there's problems. Oh, how will the problems affect the world? How will the problems affect the toys and Andy? Oh, they figured it out. Awesome. Oh, this is such a great movie. Until you get older and you watch Toy Story. 
And then you realize every single problem they had to face was Woody's fault, okay? Oh, every single one of them, right? And you can't change my mind because Woody's like, he's a fantastic character, he's awesome. He was unwilling to accept change, right? So while this movie is very much about toys and what would toys do if they were alive, this movie is more about Woody not being willing to accept that Andy might have a new favorite toy, or Andy, ah, man, he's growing up. He's developing some new interests. And the thing that has sustained my love for Toy Story is not only this weird nostalgic thing that works, but also it does this thing that all good stories do, and it makes us think it's about one thing, when in reality it points us to something totally different. And I think this theme is present in uh, our story today as well. For some of you, this may be a really familiar story. For others, this may be the first time hearing it. Either way, awesome. I'm gonna set the scene uh, just at first because there's like a ton and then, and then we'll have some together. So chapter three opens up with King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the head honcho, making this image of gold, okay, this statue of gold. And it's 90 feet high, so it's not like he just did this in his spare time for fun, right? He made this huge thing, and he put it in this place called Dura. And once again, he didn't didn't do it just for fun. He put this statue there so that the people of Babylon would fall down and worship it. It didn't matter who you were, if you were the highest in his court, or if you were the lowliest common person, everyone was required to worship the statue. As soon as you heard any sort of music at all, you were to drop what you were doing, just like that, and bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. It didn't matter what country you were living in before you found yourself in Babylon. didn't matter what language you were speaking while you were in Babylon. And goodness gracious, it sure didn't matter what God you had wanted to worship before you lived in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar thought that if he could order things in this way, he would have the ultimate unification of state and religion. Okay, he was already king. He had the state thing down. Everybody did exactly what he said. But he thought if he could control the people's worship systems, it would lead to this ultimate power payoff. So Nebuchadnezzar, to show people that he meant business, threatened this. To anyone who does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Things escalated quickly, right? So not surprising, this threat worked, right? As soon as people heard any little hint of music, they dropped what they were doing and worshiped this image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had created, or Almost everyone dropped what they were doing and worshiped this gold image that he had created. There was a group of people uh, that brought something to Nebuchadnezzar's attention. They made him aware that despite his new attempt to order life, there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. This group of people know, let Nebuchadnezzar know that his attempt, his power play, was threatened by three Jewish teenagers who we met last week in Daniel chapter one, all because they they refused to stop worshiping God. Even though they worked for King Nebuchadnezzar, they wouldn't let him shape their hearts. Let's read this next part. Furious with rage, 
Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have made up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So it's not hard to see where the story goes from here, right? Nebuchadnezzar gets angry. He's like, all right, throw him in, go for it. Ah, hold on, actually, let's turn up the heat, then throw him in, then go for it, right? And so that's how the story goes. They're led to the furnace. They're thrown in the furnace. The story seems to be done. The bad guy won Nebuch or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Toast, no pun intended. Um, but they don't burn, right? For those of you that know the story, they don't burn. As a matter of fact, it's not even just the three of them in the fire. Verse 24 says this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Look, I see four men walking around in the fire unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. The three teens were then called out of the fire and everyone around them was rightfully astonished. Imagine being in that crowd of people that just saw all this go down. It's like, how did they do that? Or, so are we gonna, do we know who the fourth person was or are we just gonna like forget that that happened? What's the king gonna say about this? He's got a temper. Or maybe there was even some, man, that, that God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there's something different. Something different about that God. Don't get me wrong, this story shows us the amazing power God has, right? If you, and if you grew up in church, there's a good chance you heard this story taught and like the bottom line, the thing to take away, the most important part of it all was that if you were in the fire, God would save you. Or if your mind works a little bit like mine, you hear this story and you think, Let's go, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, three punk rocks, stick it to the man, down with the system, kids. And they're in the Bible, so that means I can act that way too, right? Uh, both of those have merit, one far more than the other. But I do believe that this is a good story. And I do believe all good stories do the same thing. They make us think they're about one thing, when in reality they point us to something totally different. And I think this story points us to the fact that a transformed heart will stabilize us in exile. When I was in college, uh, I went to Bible college, I had a class on one of the gospels and I always loved these types of classes because you spent an entire semester digging through day by day, line by line, word by word, just kind of wading your way through the book, right? It didn't matter which one it was. And because this was a class, the Content was more times than not a little more academic than it was like kind of spiritual or theological, which was great. 
It was hard for me to remember this historical context and that geographical significance and this one word used six other ways and this other way, right? So I struggled with these lectures sometimes, but eventually, you know, you do something enough, you get your feet underneath you, you understand how to do it. So it was one day, I was just like dialed. I was like so with everything the professor was saying, just like jiving 100%. And then all of a sudden, the lecture just goes off the rails, all right? He starts talking about something else. Somebody from the back chimes in with something like, it was like, ah, 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 ah. And then I'm sitting in front like the one time, the one time I was actually like with you. We're off the rails. So I get a little upset, okay? And if you're someone who likes to stay on topic, you understand what I'm saying. I get a little upset, and I think all this is just frivolous, very, uh, it's just not useful, it's not helpful. So I do the thing that most ignorant and extremely arrogant 20-year-old guys would do. And I, <laughs> uh, so like, what does this have to do with what we're talking about? Something like that. It probably sounded worse than that, honestly. And the professor gave me like just such an incredibly gracious answer, one that I didn't deserve, and it went along the lines of this. He said, if you see my class as a time for you to show up, get answers to an exam, and then leave, okay, that's fine. But I see my class as a time for us to grow together. Yeah, grow in knowledge of this book, but also grow in knowledge of each other and relationship with each other and things outside of this because it all relates back to these stories of Jesus. So I'm sitting there. I'm like in the front row, by the way. And I'm just sitting there. It's like, oh, Not good, dude, not good. Because I realized that was the first time I could remember how quickly my heart could jump to some other direction, right? How quickly my heart could get off path. I was approaching his class with a heart of transaction rather than a heart of transformation. For our purposes today, I think it will be helpful to establish some working definitions of each of these, a heart of transaction and a heart of transformation. So I'd like to say a heart of transaction seeks to use systems or people for their own gain. Then on the other hand, a heart of transformation seeks to engage with systems or people with an outlook formed by hope and love. And I believe that both hearts are present in our story today and the reality of being human, both hearts are present in us. On one hand, we have Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man from the most powerful empire with the most powerful resources, just trying to make his name great. We're led to believe that Nebuchadnezzar saw people as a means to an end. He wanted to use them just to grow the might of his empire. This is how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ended up working for him in the first place. Chapter one, verses three and four say this, this of Daniel. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. You put like three of those things on any resume, you're like good, right? He wanted the best of the best because he wanted to use them for his gain. But Nebuchadnezzar also has a heart of transaction when it relates to God. He was using his golden statue, his golden image to control people's religious experience solely for the purpose of unifying his empire. 
His attitude in verse 15 shows us that if anything, he thought of himself more powerful than any God, right? He said this, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? It's just a normal guy. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? His heart was solely what he wanted it to be. His heart of transaction left him greedy, left him manipulative, and feeling threatened constantly. Now, if I level with you all, it's pretty easy for me to stand up here and be like, yo, that's not me. I, I don't enslave people and exploit their labor to grow my empire all while religiously manipulating them. Like, I'm good. But then I realize that there are plenty of time that my heart approaches systems and people for my own gain with a heart of transaction. You know, if this person can get me to this position professionally, or if I do this and this and this, I'll gain this social status. Or man, if my kids would just act a certain way, all the other parents would think I'm good. Or no one's gonna know if I'm doing this behind closed doors if it helps the company, right? I could stand here for hours and hours and just indict myself and give you evidence of how my heart needs transformation. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about following Jesus together is that we all get to humbly seek this transformation at the same time. Now, on the other hand, the complete opposite end of the spectrum of our story, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three teenagers living in a country they were not born in, doing a job they did not want or knew how to do, and worshiping a God that no one around them worshiped. Yet, they remained strong in their relationship with God. Think about this with me. During this time in history, deism was like super prevalent. Many people believed in a ton of gods, some of them more powerful, some of them less powerful, some of them uh, focused on certain geographical areas, others for focused on certain aspects of the human life. And because this way of thinking was so prevalent, it leads us to this. If your people, like if the very people that made up your nation were able to be taken over by another nation, your gods were also taken over by their gods. Your gods were inferior to whoever they were worshiping. So there's absolutely no logical reason for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the time and in the place that this happened to them for them to hold on to their relationship with God. However, their transformed heart inevitably led them to faithfulness. They found a way to live in Babylon, to work in Babylon, and to worship God in Babylon, not being thrown off by absolutely anything that came their way. And this was because their hearts had been and were continuing to be transformed by the love and grace that is offered by God. I believe like the, the best piece of evidence for this is what they say directly to King Nebuchadnezzar's face. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. It could have went with whatever Nebuchadnezzar said about who they should worship and gained security. But they were so convinced 
by what God said about them and what God said about the world was true. They were okay with their exile being turned into death. Their transformed heart stabilized them in exile. Now, this is a tricky thing, really, if I'm honest. It's tricky to walk the road toward a transformed heart and away from a transactional heart. It's hard to know where to start. It's hard to know if it's working. It's hard for me to stand up here and just talk to you about it because I know how much my heart needs to be transformed. It's never easy. The easy thing for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to do would have been to just go with whatever Nebuchadnezzar said. However, they chose to not do that, so they stood alone. And maybe you feel alone in your place of work as someone who follows Jesus. Or maybe you feel alone in your family as someone who follows Jesus. Maybe the idea of following Jesus might, might just cost you all your friends. Because the reality of being in exile is the road to a transformed heart is often hard and lonely. But that doesn't mean it's hopeless. So I'd love to offer three things, three markers that have been given to me by older, wiser, more gracious followers of Jesus, and quite frankly, things that we see in this story. Hopefully these things will ultimately set our course towards the image of Jesus, which will inevitably give us a transformed heart. So the first marker on a road to a transformed heart is prevalent in the book of Daniel, and it is prayer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, despite living in Babylon, never ceased to pray. They understood that no matter how distant they felt from God, prayer was always the thing that gave them the opportunity to recenter themselves under the love and grace that transformed their hearts in the first place. And see, they had, an, they had the option to pray in a transactional way, as do we. Hey, God, could I, could you do this for me? Thanks. Hey, God, could I get that? Yeah? Okay, cool. I'll talk to you the next time something goes bad. But a transformational call to prayer is not, hey, don't, don't bring your needs to God. That, don't, like, don't hear me say that, right? That is not what it's saying. But it's saying, a transformational prayer is bringing your needs to God, placing them at his feet, and desperately playing to be made aware of his presence in the middle of it all. In the complexities and in the intricacies of your life as a follower of Jesus living in Babylon, prayer lets your heart be transformed, our hearts be transformed by being made aware of the presence of God. Luke mentioned earlier, we're doing a prayer or a church-wide prayer initiative uh, throughout this series. I'm gonna remind you of that number one more time if you missed it. Uh, you can text PCC Pray to the number 77411. We'll be sending out prayer prompts throughout this whole series. And if you don't know where to start, this is a place. The second marker on a road to a transformed heart is time together. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, despite being exiles and being alone at large, always had each other. Well, they all had transformed hearts and were on the road consistently to a transformed heart. They were doing so with each other. 
a couple years back, I was in Portland, Oregon, and I was in like the back of an Uber headed to the airport or something. And my Uber driver was an older guy named Mark, and we were talking, and it got brought up that Mark and his wife planted a church in Portland kind of way back when. And if you know Portland, it's not necessarily known for an abundance of Jesus followers, right? So I asked Mark, I was like, just what were some things that gave you life? What were some things that sustained you as you followed Jesus in this place? And his answer was so simple. Uh, and I hope, I hope I never forget it. He said, praying the Psalms and really knowing people. While he was living in Babylon, Mark knew that the road to a transformed heart was marked with prayer and people. You see, he could have told me, first things first, meet the most influential people you possibly can because they'll get you at the right tables, at the right parties, and the right meetings, and then you can gain a foothold in the city, and then you can launch your empire from there. But that's not what he told me because he understood that transformational time together gives us the chance to know and be known on a level that's deeper than a resume or a Facebook page. It puts us in a position to understand that I've got flaws and you do too. And despite it all, we're going to deeply care for each other as we're all on this journey to a transformed heart together. The third marker on the road to a transformed heart, and ironically, this is the most important one, is this, Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The road to a transformed heart is only possible because of Jesus, only because the love and grace that he offers. A love that was so strong, it led Jesus out of heaven down to earth to walk with us on the road to a transformed heart. Even when it was impossible for us to have a relationship with God because of our brokenness, this love led Jesus to the cross to establish a connection between God and man, between heaven and earth, between the ones feeling alone in exile and the one who created and sustains everything. Jesus had the ability to live his life with a transactional heart. He talked to plenty of people. He could have used them for his own gain. Powerful, powerless, didn't matter. Because he didn't. He said he came to serve, not to be served. He knew that there was, even if there was anything that they could give him, what he had to offer them was far better. By dying on the cross, he offered them the chance of a transformed heart. And as we come to the time in our service where we remember uh, this sacrifice, we call it a time of communion, um, I'd like to just really briefly talk on one other group of people from our story that we didn't hit on. We talked about the king and we talked about the boys, but we didn't talk about everybody else. The people that just kind of sat back and watched. The people that maybe they wanted to speak out and say something against Nebuchadnezzar's new system, but for whatever reason, they didn't. The people that participated in this, even though they just really didn't want to. Because as soon as those people saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's transformed hearts, they knew. They were drawn in. They knew that that's what life has to be all about. 
So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego welcomed them on the road to a transformed heart in the same way that Jesus welcomes us on the road to a transformed heart. No matter what happened yesterday, no matter what happened last week, last month, last year, you're welcome on this road with us, with Jesus. And it's only possible because of the sacrifice. God, we're grateful that even though uh, it's easy to feel alone, um, whether we're in exile, on the road to a transformed heart, God, we're not. We're not, and you showed us that we're not. By moving in close, coming to us, living amongst us, teaching us, showing us what life was all about, and then ultimately dying on the cross to set things right again. God, we're thankful for that life-changing reality, and we're thankful to celebrate it at this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.